following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. You know, I have never in my life that I know of, I have never spent Christmas away from home. I never have. And um, that is a privilege. That is an amazing, amazing Privilege. Um, the closest thing I have, have experienced to, to being away around the holidays is back in my, my last time of college. I was working full-time at Walmart, and, and back then, Black Friday wasn't an online thing. It wasn't something that started like the night before, kind of like they do now. Um, it, was, it was actually on that day, and it was mandatory if you're an employee to be in that store at 6 o'clock in the morning and be there throughout the day, and that was torture. Um, as I said, that was, that was quite a while ago, and, and family was all back home, and I had to pick things up, head back to Joplin, and go to the wonderful mobile home that I shared with a couple other college students who weren't there because they were home still, and um, so that's the closest thing, and that wasn't even Christmas. That was the day after Thanksgiving, and that's the closest I've ever been to not being home um, for for Christmas or for that holiday time. And I'm going to tell you something. My heart goes out to those who have endured Christmas away from home and everything that goes with it. There are some in this room, I'm sure, who have experienced that, whether it be for school, whether it be for jobs, whether it be for military service, whatever that looks like, my heart goes out to those who have dealt with that before, firsthand. You know, the Bible has a good deal of home talk in it from the, the patriarchs of the Old Testament who, um, who did not really have a home. They had a promised home. They called it the promised land, a promised home that they were waiting for, and it took quite, a bit, took quite a while for that to come about. So you see that in the Old Testament, and then you can fast forward all the way to New Testament Christians who are instructed to manage their households well. Um, that's quite an interesting instruction there, is it not? has everything to do with home. Now, Jesus, he encountered people from home, home people, if you will, quite often. He went to people's homes. He taught in homes. He healed in homes. He dined in homes. He raised people back to life who were dead in homes. He called some people from their homes to follow him. He said, you follow me. And for, some, for, for a select few, that meant leaving home. But interestingly enough, there are others that he did the opposite. He sent them home. And we're going to look at a couple of those occasions today. The first one comes out of Matthew chapter 9. If you'd like to turn there, Matthew chapter 9. Um, this, is, this is a man who was, who was carried out for the last time in his life. And I'm not talking about a guy that had a little bit too much to drink at a party. I'm not talking about a guy that was on the losing end of a fist fight that got carried out. That's not what I'm talking about. This guy was carried out because of something completely different. Can you imagine a life of complete and utter dependency? I'm talking about a life that you as an adult are 100% dependent upon others just to make do, just to live. And at the center of our account today, what we see is a man who that was his life. This is recorded not only in Matthew, it's also recorded in Mark and Luke. 
We get, when we put those three accounts together, we get a little more detail than we just find right here in Matthew chapter 9. We will find out from the Gospel of Mark that this incredible happening, this incredible event took place most likely in Peter's house, the Apostle Peter, his home. Jesus is teaching in this home. Jesus has been doing miracles. Um, he, had, he had somewhat recently healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then she got up and made dinner for him. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Anyway, so I was like, Jesus really liked her cooking. It's like, I mean, yeah, get out of bed. Go fix something for us to eat. All right. Now, he didn't tell her to do that. She just did it. Uh, so there's some crazy, amazing things taking place. Jesus, at this time, he's just teaching. Now, Peter more than likely had kind of a, a middle, maybe an upper middle class home. And what that looked like is there would be the inside part of the home. There would be kind of a front porch or a small portico, we would call it a porch, you know, with a cover over it that would go into a somewhat of a modest courtyard, which would be surrounded usually by homes on either side, as well as a front gate um, or stone fence, something along those lines. That's, that's what I want you to picture in your mind. Now, Jesus is not completely inside. He's probably underneath that porch, and that's important, as you'll see in a second. And the people are out there, and he's sitting, and he's Teaching. You see, when Jesus taught, most of the time he sat and everybody else stood. We kind of do that backwards these days when somebody gets up front and whether gives a lecture in class or gives a sermon. We do that somewhat the opposite. So he's sitting and he's teaching and he's just getting after it, you know, telling them some good stuff. And then all of a sudden, as he is teaching them, stuff starts filtering down on his head. Like dust, debris, straw. And I'm sure that people are out there who've got the vantage point of seeing what's going on right above him. They see four people on the porch roof digging out a tile. They had kind of a stone type of tile that was kind of mortared in there. They're chiseling all around it. They lift it up and they lower someone on a mat in front of Jesus. All right? This is... um, this is a man on this mat, and we don't get much detail about him. All we get is he's a paraplegic. He's completely dependent upon four friends. And, and I'll tell you, Mark tells us that there were four of these friends. And he's completely dependent upon them to take him wherever he needed to go. But we don't get a lot of detail. Was this guy single? Did this guy have a family? Did this guy, had he been this way from, from birth? Had he always been this way? Was there some horrible accident? And the result of that was he could not walk anymore because he was paralyzed from the waist down? We just don't get any detail. Not really at all. Don't let the awkwardness of the scene I'm talking about pass you by. All right? Imagine this guy. I can just tell you. He's on the roof thinking, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not. The guy's teaching. There's a crowd here. I don't like being the center of attention. All right? And just imagine, can he stop him? No. So they lower him down. Can you imagine him looking at Jesus, laying on the mat, just kind of like, hey, what's up? How you doing? I can't imagine what that look on his face is like. Don't blame me. Blame them. Blame them. This was not my idea. Jesus, now what happens next, is incredible and it's somewhat puzzling. The text tells us that Jesus sees the faith, not of the man on the mat, but the faith of his friends 
who did all of this work to get this man. And you got to be honest, these guys, it's got to be a tough job going and taking this guy everywhere, every single day, okay? And Jesus sees their faith, their work, that faith that led them to work to get this man in front of Jesus. And Jesus sees their faith and he tells the man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And I'll tell you what, right off, I'm like, okay, he forgives their sins because of their faith? That's just interesting to me. Now, this was a pretty controversial statement that Jesus made because amongst the crowd out there watching and listening to Jesus teach, you had probably a collection of very few who are not standing and watching him teach. They are seated in the places of honor, and these are religious elite Pharisees, teachers, and they want to see what Jesus has to say about all of this. And they hear Jesus make this statement, your sins are forgiven. And that ruffles some feathers. You see, only God can do that. Now, I can forgive someone if they sin against me, but I can't forgive someone if they sin against others. That's God's place. And they're like, oh man, this is blasphemy. I mean, they, they are upset by what Jesus just said, and Jesus knows it. So we jump right into the middle of this, okay? I'm going to jump in a few verses earlier. It won't be on the screen, but that's just fine. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, the thoughts of these Pharisees, says, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? And then look at verse 6. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up, and he went home. Jesus heals him. And what's he tell him to do? Leave. Go back wonder why. You see, you've got this brand new man here, and what I mean by that, he's, he is really a brand new man. He is forgiven. He's not just healed. And don't let, this, don't let this, this whole significance of what's taking place here just blow right past you. What is more significant of what Jesus just did? Making this guy who couldn't walk, walk? Or pronouncing him forgiven? This is a brand new man. And he goes home, and I'm telling you what he's going to do. He's going to tell everybody exactly what happened. Jesus said, don't keep quiet about it. There are times he says, keep quiet about this. He doesn't say it here. He just says, go home. Now, Luke tells us in his account of this that the man went home praising God. Look at verse 8. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck. I love that choice of terminology from the New American Standard. I just, I just like that, awestruck. When the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who gave such authority to men. You know, that word awestruck, I mean, your versions might say something, literally it means afraid. The crowd saw this and they were afraid. They're like, whoa, who is this guy? This man who was carried out that morning comes home carrying not only himself. What's he carrying? His mat. 
I got a feeling he kept that mat for a little while. Not because he thought he was going to have to use it again, but can you imagine waking up and seeing that and thinking what Jesus has done for you? And I promise you, he went home and he told who? Everybody. Turn over to Mark. Mark chapter 5. If you turn there, you're going to find the, now that's crazy, one of those now that's crazy moments of Jesus' ministry in his life. You know something? My father-in-law, some of you know him, Dennis Bayless, he is a really good storyteller. He really is. And I'll tell you why he is a good storyteller. It's because he has earned a doctorate in the fine art of exaggeration. I mean, (laughs) every time the story comes out of his mouth, it gets a little bit better. Because it gets a little bit bigger, all right? But for just a moment here, imagine a biographical tale of someone, a biographical account that mesmerizes without any exaggeration help whatsoever. Mark chapter 5 is a favorite, not only of mine, but of many others for a very significant reason, because of what takes place. And this is also recorded by Matthew and Luke, And if you turn to Mark chapter 5, right there at the very beginning, if your Bible does the little subheadings, if your Bible has that, you might see something here that says the Gerasene demoniac. The Gerasene demoniac. I wonder if if the Gerasene demoniac would like that subtitle. Almost 2,000 years later, how is he known? Does he have a name? Nope. The Gerasene demoniac. I mean, wouldn't that be a great thing to be known as? Not just your entire life, for two millenniums, all right? And boy, we know this story. It is a good one. Basically, what you have, this is Gentile territory. This is kind of enemy territory. This is the other side of the tracks. It's literally the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus goes there. He's not afraid to go there in any way whatsoever. He's the God. He is the Son of God of all nations. All right, so he goes there. Some crazy things have already happened that night, and they arrive on the shore. Now we are told, I believe it is Matthew who says that it's not just one, but there are two men. Not just the Gerasene demoniac, but the Gerasene demoniacs. But apparently one kind of takes center stage, so we're just going to refer to him at this time. So the, the boat that Jesus and his apostles are in arrives on the shore. Two men who are without clothing, that right in and of itself can be a little, little unusual, come running at them. It is night. It's not just night. It is the middle of the night. And these men come running toward them. These men who have, by the way, superhuman strength. Um, to, of the type that shackles and chains makes me think of a country song. Anyway, but but can just rip those suckers apart. You know, I mean these superhuman superhuman strength. Okay, they lived in the tombs as well as the mountains. It's not because that's just where they preferred to live. It was isolated. These men were ostracized for probably what some would say was pretty good reason. Um, Constant, constant screaming at the top of their lungs to the point I would guess that there's just not hardly a normal voice there anymore. 
Try doing that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Self-inflicted lacerations all over the body. Taking stones, metal, whatever they can find and just, just cut himself to ribbons. Possessed not by a demon or demons, possessed by a multitude of demons. Now Jesus, who has, by the way, just stilled the storm. You remember, he's asleep on the front of the boat. His apostles think they're going to die. They wake him up, and he tells the storm to stop. Just stop. Right now. And it stops. And the apostles are like, whoa. (laughs) I mean, they've already seen Jesus do some incredibly amazing things. But he just told the storm stop. I remember when I preached about this, oh, a couple years ago. It would be like, all right, the tornado's coming. We're in the storm shelter. Somebody hops up, goes out of the storm shelter. Just before it gets there, says, stop, go away right now. And the tornado obeys. It's kind of power we're talking about here. So Jesus has just done that. They roll up to the the shore. I guess they should say they float up to the shore. And what meets them, the The forces of darkness that they encounter, Jesus and his apostles, I imagine his apostles are behind him, all right? This is the type of thing that haunts people's dreams. This is nightmare stuff right here, okay? And what do these demons inside this man and this other man, what do they do? Take a look at it in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and you will see what they do. They bow before Jesus. They know who's in charge. You know the story. You've probably read it or heard of it many, many times. Jesus casts out the demons from them of legion, a multitude of demons. He, he casts them into those, those demons, gives them permission to go into. Now, he didn't do it. He just gave them permission to go into the pigs, and then a couple thousand pigs go running into the sea and drown. After this takes place, um, probably the pig, the pig shepherds, I'm guessing, is there such things as a pig shepherd? Anyway, they go back home, tell everybody what's going on. So the town comes out, probably the mayor, you know. You're the mayor, you get out there and talk to the guy, all right? And they beg Jesus to leave. They're frightened. They get there and they see this demon-possessed duo here in their right mind, fully clothed, having a logical and pretty high-level conversation with this Jesus guy. And they're frightened. They're probably a little bit perturbed about the pigs. And they beg Jesus to leave. But look at Mark. They're not the only ones begging. Look at verse 18. This is where we'll pick this up. See, if Jesus is asked to leave, he leaves. He's a gentleman. And he's leaving. Verse 18. As Jesus, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. That imploring, that's just like the word we looked at last week, all right, where they were continued to the king sent out the invitation for the wedding feast for his son. And the people continually declined the invitation again and again. We're not coming. We're not coming. We're busy. We're not coming. This is that exact same Greek tense that says that this, this 
ex-demoniac, like I said, we don't even know his name, he's begging continually. Jesus, he says, let me come with you. The word accompany here, that's translated that way by the New American Standard, it literally means this, let me be with you. I want to be with you. I've got nowhere else to go. Or so he thinks. Look what happens next. In verse 19. Can you imagine anybody you could think of who would more want a fresh start? This guy's got these physical scars. Let me tell you something about physical scars. They don't go away. They don't. And he would carry those with him. And he would be asked, so what's that all about? Man, you look rough. I mean, were you a member of the Hell's Angels once upon a time? The guy's like, let me tell you a little something about Hell's Angels. <laughs> I can tell you all about it. About the pigs. What do you think a small community would do, 2,000 pigs being lost would do to the economy? Where are those people going to turn their, their frustration to now that they're economic their economics is in the trash right now on top of that what's to keep those demons from coming back let me be with you you're the guy in charge let me be with you look at verse 19 Jesus did not let him but he said to him go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Jesus sends this ex-demoniac home with the instructions of being a preacher. That's what he tells him. You are going to be a preacher. You go home. And Jesus even gives him the content of his sermon. I mean, he says, you go home, you tell the people what God has done for you, and you tell the people how God has had mercy on you. No extensive seminary training here, okay? Just one evening with Jesus. And Jesus sends him on the road, sends him home, and he says, you go and you tell people what has happened to you. Look at verse 20. Man obeys. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's the whole region, not just his home, what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was, one of Mark's favorite words from his gospel, everyone was amazed. Let me tell you a little bit something. Jesus shows up again. It's a period of time later. It's, it's months later. But Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, let me tell you, folks, it was a circus. And I'm talking about a good circus, not a bad circus. It was a good circus. Jesus, people hear about, hey, that Jesus guy's back. And they show up. He heals. He teaches. He feeds 4,000 men, including their families. Remember that 5,000? He does it again, this time in Gentile territory. And he feeds... 4,000 men with their families with nothing more than a large appetizer, all right? He does this amongst the Gentiles. 
the people who knew nothing about this promised Messiah that was coming. That's not their culture. That's not their religion. So what brought them to that place? I'll tell you what brought them. What gives? This is what gives. The preaching of the ex-crazy man. <laughs> That's what brought him. And let me tell you, folks, what Jesus did amongst those people in those next couple of days is an incredible picture of what's to come. And we better be thankful because those of us in this room, I believe we're all Gentiles. And Jesus painted an incredible picture of the future of his kingdom. And the brush that he used to paint that picture was an ex-demoniac that he sent home to tell his story. You see, Jesus doesn't always say, follow me. You look at what he says here in the Gospels, and he did not tell every one of those people, come, follow me. Sometimes he told those people, go home. But this is the difference. It's Jesus who's saying it. You got me? It's the Son of God who's saying it. He didn't send them home alone. He was with those that he sent home. He was with them then, and he's still with them. He's still with us now. You know, going home isn't always easy. Just ask Mary. It's almost Christmas after all, right? Aren't we supposed to talk about Jesus' birth? Someone learn this? Mary, who went off to see her cousin, who was going to have a baby. She was there for three months, and then she went back home. Think going home's easy? She shows up back home, and her fiancé says, uh, wait a second here. I know that Elizabeth makes some good pot roast, but you must have eaten a lot of it. Either that or there's something else going on in your belly there. And does she have a story for him? You think she's a little apprehensive about going back home after three months? Small town, busy mouths. Yeah, going home isn't always easy. But this is the thing. For many of us, the primary mission field in our lives is the mission field of our homes. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you look around you this Christmas, if you look around you and you look at mom or dad or sister or brother or grandma or grandpa or husband or wife, if you look around you and you also see and you look at your family member, you also see a brother and sister Or a brother or sister in Christ with whom you will spend eternity. If that's your reality, thank God for it. That your family reunions will last forever. There is no, no greater blessing, brothers and sisters, than to share eternal hope with family. 
This Tuesday, I'm going to be doing a memorial service right here. I'll be part of doing a memorial service for Larry Smith right here in this room. And I cannot tell you, folks, how powerful it is for a family who's hurting to have hope. I know they're going to see. Going to see him again. And if that's your reality, thank God we share in communion here in a little bit. Thank him for it. If that is not your reality, my heart goes out to you. Going home doesn't mean seeing people that as of right now, unless something changes, you're going to spend eternity with. My heart goes out to you. If that's you, don't take too much responsibility upon your shoulders. But there is a little bit of responsibility. You see, Jesus told that, that man to go back home and, and, and he told him to represent me. You see, you see, if that is your story, your only responsibility is patient, unconditional love. Let me tell you something. Not an easy responsibility all the time. But that's not the only responsibility. The other one is this. To be a walking and sometimes talking testimony of the power of God's love. And if that's your life, I want to pray for you. And as we come to this time of communion, thank God for His grace that you don't deserve, that's been bestowed upon your life. And ask Him for the strength patience and the words and the actions to share the love of Jesus with people that you love most and that you want to spend eternity with. I'm not a prophet. I don't know what the future holds. But I do know this. Those are the type of prayers God loves to answer. See, it's not always easy to go home and share the message of Jesus. We need to.